Well, good morning, church. Oh, you're sleepy. Man, you need a quad grande Americano like I had this morning. Good morning, church. Yeah, so great to have you and all of our friends who are here. Uh, very excited. If there's, uh, I just am so grateful for this beautiful day and for what God has done. As I said to some of the worship team when I came up, I said, thanks a lot. I have no voice now. Uh, what a great vehicle and plan that they gave us to worship. Can we say thanks to them? Yeah, thank you. Wow, you know, there's just nothing like being able to hear the, the church celebrate what God has been doing in their lives, what he has done through Christ. Uh, I love the springtime. How many love spring? I love spring, man, because it's almost golf season. Uh, <laughs> Well, not just that. Um, well, okay, it almost is. But anyway, this pre here's what I, you know, the dead of winter, that's a phrase, the dead of winter. At least we have this phrase in Canada. And it really means that because everything dies, right? And it's dead and it's ugly. But spring comes and spring rains come and we see a transition from what is dead to what becomes alive as crocuses and daffodils and tulips begin to push through, as, as uh, lawns start to turn green, and as pretty soon trees will burst into greenery, flowers will come out, and I just love that time of year. We're looking at a passage of Scripture today that actually in a spiritual sense, is very sort of a, a parallel of what happens. We're going to be looking at a situation or a passage of Scripture that's going to be talking about death and about darkness and brokenness and kind of just that ugly stage. But the rest of the story is a beautiful story. The rest of the story is a great story, and it ends with absolute wonderful news so sometimes, you know, when you go to a doctor, uh, you're sick, and you go to a doctor, and you get news that isn't great news. How we just don't want to live in ignorance and have them not tell us the truth, right? How many would like to just go to your doctor and have them not tell you the truth? I wouldn't. I'd like to know what's going on. If there's sickness, if there's disease, if there's something going on, I want to know what's happened. So shoot me the straight goods, tell me, and let's get on the solution side of that so that we can get on with life. Well, the same thing happens that the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, the great apostle, is actually going to be writing, and he's going to be giving us some real sincere diagnosis and I'm just going to warn us in the room today, it's not diagnosis that we like to hear. And sometimes in churches, we shy away from that. But it's good news because also there comes a remedy. Before we begin that, we celebrated here on Friday night, we celebrated Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ. I've often wondered, why do they call it Good Friday? Why not Sad Friday? Why not Bad Friday? Why not Sorrowful Friday? It's Good Friday because what happened through Jesus' death for those who believe. And we gather here Sunday morning like the church did after Jesus was raised from the dead and they found an empty tomb 
And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to start there, and then we're going to head into our bad news. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're talking about what God has done, how he, the Father, has raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. When God the Father raised Jesus, his Son, into what is called the heavenly places. It means that he left the physical dimension of this earth and went into the spiritual dimension called the heavenlies. And we understand that if you and I, there's there's more going on in our world than what meets the eye, there's more going on than what it seems because there is a very physical nature to this world. There is. But there is a spiritual nature that we can't see. It's in another dimension. It's in the heavenly realm. And Jesus was raised, and he was taken into the heavenly realm. And we're going to learn about that. And all that that means, and that is great news. That's why the church those who gathered and found this empty tomb, those who began to gather together and worship, those who began to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and give testimony to the, the, the risen Christ. Oh, and how he changed their lives. And a movement began that has not stopped in over 2,000 years. It's amazing what happened. But Paul wanted to remind this church in a place called Ephesus. I've been there. And uh, in, you know it today as Izmir in Turkey. And this, there's a church in Ephesus. And he's reminding them. He f- begins in chapter 1 and tells them all the amazing things that God has done for them in Christ. And then he's calling them to remember. Sometimes it's good to remember where you came from, isn't it? Spiritually speaking, if you don't understand the condition of your soul and what we were before we met God through Jesus Christ, we will never be grateful. We will never lean into all that he has for us. It'll just be like adding a little bit of religion on top of a really normal good life that I'm leading. I'll do a couple of good things here and there. I'm sure God will be proud of me. But what we're going to learn today is that our condition before we met Christ was dire. And so for those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus in the room today, would you just sit back and remember? Would you realize what your life was like? And for those in the room that may not be followers, you may be explorers, you may be interested, you might be a spiritual person, but not necessarily a follower of Jesus who has invited him into your life, uh, let these words wake us up a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is calling them back to remember, and he says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is in the work in the sons of disobedience, he says, you were dead. Do you know every person is born physically alive, but spiritually dead? 
You are alive physically. You are alive intellectually. You are alive emotionally. But spiritually, every person that's born is dead. What does that mean? It means we're dead to God, the life that God gives through Christ and his Holy Spirit. It means it's void. It's not there. There's this chasm inside of us. There's this empty hole, this God-shaped, you know, place that was made for him and his divine life. And we try to fill, people don't understand that that's what it is, so they try to fill it with all kinds of things. We're going to hear about that. But friends, you weren't just a little bit ignorant and didn't know certain things. The scripture tells us very clearly, before we came to know Christ, we were spiritually dead. I want to make it vivid for you. Turn to the person beside you and say, I was dead. Yeah. You're not too enthusiastic about that. (laughs) I get it. I get it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespasses, there's different words in the original language that the Bible was written in. And uh, the word for trespass means to cross a boundary. Where God has put certain things for our good and our protection and our blessing. He says, don't go there. He puts up boundaries so that we won't enter into areas that he's marked out of bounds because that'll hurt you. But we're rebellious. Let me ask you, if your parents, when you were young, says, don't touch that or look in that cookie jar or do anything, did you? Of course we did. Why? Because we have this rebellion inside us. We want to do our own thing. We trespass into areas that God says, don't go, they're out of bounds. We wander. The prophet Isaiah in the Older Testament said, you know, that all of us are, are like sheep that have gone astray. We've wandered away. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This word means that, that we actually, we fall short. We don't measure up. We don't do what God calls us to do. We don't live the way he wants us to. It's like the imagery is that of an archer who pulls back and lets an arrow go, but the arrow falls short, doesn't even hit the target. And he says, that's what we do. We fall short. We miss the mark. We don't live the way God calls us to live. We don't measure up to his standard. And so... We were dead because of our trespasses and our sin. He's reminding these people, what did he say? In which you once walked. Walking in the scripture is a metaphor for for living. You once lived like that. Friends, Christians in the room today, you once lived like that. You were spiritually dead because you trespassed and because you didn't measure up. And I was chief among you. That's true of me. Didn't matter I was born in a pastor's home. My heart was lost. And it's been, we're following the course or the ways of the world. That is, there's, there's values, there's, there's ideas, there's ways to live. Just a couple of things that come to mind right away, like our culture just values personal freedom over Anything. So who's anyone to sort of restrict me or tell me? We, we kind of tilt toward revenge versus release and forgiveness. Someone hurts us, we want to give it back to them. You know, there's all kinds of values in our culture 
that make us feel or do things that are contrary to the way of Christ. He said, you were lost in your sin and your and your path, and you followed the course of this world, just like normally got swept along like a ship or a sailboat without wind, without a rudder. You just got wherever the current was going. That's how you live. We just, it's normal in our world. And there's an influence to that course from what is called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work. And if you understand the scripture and you understand the teaching of Jesus, you know that he's making a reference to that diabolical presence known as the devil. There's influence there. And it's at work. Among whom we all once lived. We, we were there. We were floating with the, cur- the current of our culture. We once lived in the passions of our flesh. This, you know, our sinful nature, and it manifests itself in two ways in particular, through our bodies and through our minds, how we think. And we carried out those desires insatiably. We just followed after them. Whatever lust, whatever pulls would do, we just went there. Why? Because if it feels good, if I want to do it, I do it. Even if God said, don't go there. And we were, by nature, children of wrath. That means that we were in a position where we were deserving of God's judgment against sin, our our trespasses, our rejection of him. Just like the rest of mankind. Christian, you forget Sometimes Christians are so holier than thou. They are so judgmental. You forget, just like the rest of mankind, that was you and that was me. If it weren't for God's grace in our lives. Yeah, this is the human condition apart from God. Dead. This condition where there's no life of God in us. Physically alive, intellectually alive, spiritually dead. Trespasses, wandering, not following you know, God's ways, but the world's ways. Indulging in cravings and thoughts and deserving of the wrath of God. Isn't this a, just a positive, wonderful message this morning? Aren't you glad you came? Hey, if we don't understand the dire strait we were in spiritually, we will never appreciate all that we have in the grace of God. Our culture and churches all around this land refuse to talk about this anymore. We just want to baby everybody. We just want to tell them everyone's all good. Nothing's really gone. And it's no wonder why people don't appreciate Christ or follow him with their full intention and full devotion. Friends, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it will move us. In a second, we're going to look at all of this is wrong. And then suddenly, there's this phrase... But God. Someone say that with me. But God. We were children of wrath. But God. We were dead in our trespass. But God. God intervened. Aren't you glad? I am. 
And what motivated God to intervene? He didn't need us. We're the ones that rebelled against him. We're the ones that don't want to live under his law. We're the ones that sort of stand in rejection. We want to do our own thing. We violate his principles. We, create, we live out cosmic treason before a holy God. Why would he intervene? Because of his deep motivations of God. He gives four of them in this passage. It talks about his mercy. God's rich, deep mercy. And that mercy is fueled by his love. His love. And God intervened because of a thing called grace, his grace. And lastly, because of his kindness, because he's kind. Can I ask you something this morning? Is that what you think about God? When you think of God, do you think of him like that? Or do you think of him as some sort of cosmic cop? A killjoy, ready to steal all your fun and not let you live life to the full. Sometimes we feel like, if that's our view of God, I tell you, I don't believe in that God either. But a God who manifests his mercy. Mercy means something like this. How many of you ever got a speeding ticket? Come on. Sinners. I've got lots of them. Speed, I just love speed. Don't you love that feeling of acceleration? I just, anyway. Public confession, I had my car at 210 kilometers an hour on a public road. I'm sorry, but I did. It was awesome. Anyway, so uh, you and I, many of you have heard stories about this where you were breaking the law and a policeman pulls you over. One of the first members of this church, this is what happened. I was on my way to church. We were meeting at Bayview Glen at the time, just trying to create a core group that'll come and start this thing called Summit. And I was zipping down from Aurora down Bathurst, and then I turned onto 16th Avenue. I didn't know the room. I just moved here, and I didn't know that that thing drops right by the rink there. And man, I got nailed. All of a sudden, pulls over. Oh, no. This lady comes up, police officer. She's just going to see your registration license. I said, sure. She goes, you're going a little fast today. I said, yeah, I know, man. Back when we started at Baby, it was like a suit and tie church. Okay, so I'm like decked out, right? And, uh, and she looks, and she sees my Bible beside me and stuff, and she looks, and she says, are you a pastor? <laughs> no joke. And I said, yes. And she goes, what church? I said, people's church. I wanted to. Uh, I, said, I said, baby Glenn, baby Glenn church. And she goes, oh. So she just went to her car for a while, just making me sweat. She comes back, and she said, handed me back my license and all that, and she said, uh, your congregation, your parishioners would want to see you get there safe today. Slow down, have a nice day. Whew. What was that? Mercy not giving me what I deserved. I deserved that ticket. That night, I was in church at David Glenn. I got a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. There's the cop. 
and she busts out laughing. She said, you should have seen your face. Her name was Shelly Rogers. She joined our church. It was awesome. Thanks for her mercy. But God is also loving. He's full of love. It just defines so much of who he is. His heart towards us. We have no idea. You think you love a person, a child, a parent, a sibling. You love someone so much, your best friend. You think you do. That just, is, just can't even compare to the depth and the height and the breadth of God's love for you. The scripture says we can't even, we can't even understand how deep God's love is. And that motivated him because he doesn't just love really good people like Pastor Lloyd. He loves all of us. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you don't know him right now. It doesn't, he loves you. You cannot squash his love. You can't do anything to make him love you more or love you less. He loves you. And because you were disjointed from him, you are, we were separated from him. The scripture says our sins separated us from God. There's no life in us. Now we're separate. His great love motivated him. His grace. What's grace? Well, the theologians call it like things like unmerited favor. We get favor. I love to think of it this way. Whereas mercy was not giving me what I rightfully deserve. What's grace? Grace is giving me what I don't deserve in abundance. He gives beyond what we even deserve. And then his kindness. It just moves him to action. i got to move along here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Think, here we go. This is the but God, right? Everyone say it. But God, being rich in mercy. We talked about this. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You don't clean up before God loves you. He loves you right now, wherever you are. And if Christians, if you've forgotten that before you came to Christ, you need to remember he loved you. He says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you that much. And he made us alive with Christ. He raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This made us alive is the main verb in the original language. It starts from verse 1, and it picks up, and finally, and you, and then got all these things that went on, and then verse 5, he made us alive. That's the main, main point. With him. He raised us up with him. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. What is he talking about? When you and I trust in Jesus, when we believe he is the son of God, when we believe what he did for us, and when we come before him and say, God, I, am, I don't have your life, I've messed up, I, I receive you, I believe in you, I receive you into my being. He says, then what happens? We receive the very life of God by his spirit. This is the difference between religion. Religion is all the things that you do to try to earn your way to God somehow or make him you know, approve of you somehow. But in what Jesus is talking about is that we actually receive the very life of God through Christ and his Holy Spirit comes and literally in the deepest recesses, I don't know where, in, your, in the, the deepest recesses of your being where your personality, your spirit is, Right in there, 
We are made alive. He actually infuses you. That's why this, some people call it being born again. He regenerates. He brings life into your being, the very life of God. And we are made alive, and we're raised up, and we're seated with Christ. And our faith unites us with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. We have this union of spirit, and we're made alive. And we join him in being lifted up into the presence of the kingdom of God, this heavenly dimension, and we're given a secure place with the exalted king where we are citizens. That's good news, isn't that? Those who were dead in trespasses are alive with Christ. Now, why did he do this? He goes on to say in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. His unsurpassing riches of his grace. You can't measure it. You can never surpass it. It's unsurpassing. All that he's given us in his grace. This is giving us what we don't deserve. In the story Jesus told about the prodigal son, remember he went and blew all of his dad's inheritance, wanted him literally to be dead so he could get the cash and go. And what does he do? He comes to his senses after he blew all the money and he's living, he's reached the bottom and he thinks to himself, okay, well, you know what? My dad's hired hands have it better than me. I'll just come back and just, I'll just slither back in. Just treat me like one of your servants. I'm better off than what I am now. And his dad sees him and he runs to him. And he tries to explain what he did, and his dad has nothing. He doesn't hear of it. He hugs him. He kisses him. He invites him in. He gives a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, has a banquet. Why? Because that son who was lost is now home. He's found. And that's how God is giving him things he doesn't deserve. And this unsurpassing, immeasurable riches of God's grace towards us comes to us in order that we, the recipients of all this, would manifest his grace in the coming ages, that is, in generation after generation, and ultimately in the end of time, and all of it through our lives and through the church and all that's gone on positively for for Christ in the kingdom, exalts Jesus. It's for him. And he gives this word, he testifies not just to other people in the world, but to all of the spiritual beings in the heavenly realm and the heavenly dimension. And it's all for his glory. So what are these riches of grace? Are you okay? Can, you, can we keep going a little bit? Because this is the good news. You know, we've passed that. Remember where we were. Now, we are alive in Christ by faith. Every, here's the unsurpassing riches. I'll just say this, that every spiritual blessing in God's kingdom is ours. We don't always access them. We don't always believe them. We don't always take advantage of them, but it's true. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to have a little story, just before that, he goes and he gives all of these various blessings Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours, in, uh, have been given to us through Christ. 
We've been chosen to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted into his family. He just poured his grace upon us and he redeemed us through his blood. He forgave us all of our sins and trespasses and he lavished on, him, on us all the wisdom and insight above the counsel of his will. We get to know the will of God. He's given us an inheritance that one day is going to be ours in its fullness. It's kept in the heavenlies for us. He, we've sealed this commitment by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that that is coming forward. We could go on and on. He just that gives like 12 or 14 blessings. Every spiritual blessing is in Christ. He talks about unsurpassed resources for life and relationships. Oh, in Christ, there's unsurpassed resources. And I would dare say that in Christ, in all that he has given to us, we have unsurpassed resources for living, for relationships. I was reading a book by Tim Keller called How to Win the West Again, and he talked about the unsurpassed you know, resources that are available through Christ. I just want to read some of these. Would you listen? This is about you. A meaning in life that suffering cannot take away. In fact, suffering, he says, adds meaning and value and depth to our faith. A satisfaction that is not based on circumstances. A freedom in our spirit and soul and conscience where we've been freed from sin, freed from bondage, freed from the influence of evil spirits. We have purpose to fulfill in serving God and people in this world. A love that cannot reduce relationships to mere transactions. An identity. Oh, don't you want an identity? Uh, an identity that will not, is not fragile. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our looks. It's not based on our popularity, our wealth, our position. Our, our identity isn't based on anything like that because that all changes. And that's why it's fragile. You put your identity in your kids, what happens if they go AWOL? If you put your identity in your marriage, what happens if it breaks down? If you put your identity in your business or your job or your success, what happens if you don't reach that? But he gives us an identity in Christ as a loved child of God, as one with Jesus, an heir. He gives us a way to deal with guilt that truly settles the soul. A way to forgive others without residual bitterness or shame. A basis for seeking justice that doesn't turn us into oppressors ourselves. A way to face the future, even death, with poise and with peace. We have a power that's available to fuel choices to obey God and to serve others. We've been given his word, a revelation from God to teach us so we can know God and know his will. The promise of being transformed in our lives and a commitment to communicate with God and hear from him. He's promised his presence. It will never leave us, ever. 
And we're promised an immediate transition that when our biological bios life dies, the life of God, that Zoe life of Christ himself, immediately, without a nanosecond break, is immediately in the presence of the Lord in the heavenly places. And one day, a future resurrection where our personality, spirit, and soul and mind will be reunited with our physical body that are going to be raised again brand new, miraculously, that are going to live for the, in the new heaven, the new earth. Oh, we have unparalleled, unsurpassing riches found in his grace. Is that not good news? Friends, this is what we are promised. So the question is, how do you get it? I can't move through this message without just showing us how. And Paul gives it to us in the next verse. He says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not through works so that no one can boast. God gives us this gift of grace more than we deserved, unmerited favor that we receive by trusting in him, receiving his presence, And our spirit and his spirit come into union together. We are given his life. So a Christian is not one that does good deeds so that God will approve them and hopefully get you into heaven one day. Because you never know. If you're doing that to offset your bad, here's the problem. You don't know what the quota is. You don't know when you finally tilt Because even our thoughts, even the things we should do and don't do, Scripture calls that sin. And so we never know. But God applies His gift by grace when we trust Him. He gives it to us. We appropriate it by faith. And the Spirit of God comes in and makes it real, bringing His life. Does that make sense to you? This is why religion will never save anyone, but Jesus does. So how are we saved? Provided by grace, it's God's gift, received through our faith. And there's one more great piece of news. We don't, it's just not just me and Jesus and that's done. God actually doesn't only save us from stuff, he saves us to something. And that is a whole life. He says, for we are created, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Aren't you glad? You're not just dead. You've been made alive. You are in union with Jesus, and he's given you all these riches, and also he's got a plan and a purpose for you to live your life for him. And he will work through you. This is how God shapes us in Christ, shaping our character, reforms us, makes us like Christ, and then works through us. He gives us all kinds of wonderful things, spiritual gifts, a passion what to do, natural abilities and talents, a personality that does it, and all kinds of experiences in life. And he takes all of that, who we are, and he infuses it by his Holy Spirit to empower us to do good works. What kinds of good works? He shapes us for his purposes, good deeds that will serve people. Good deeds. Helping people. 
Here's another one is to, to do ministry, to edify, to grow strength and build up his church, the family of God. He also gives us purpose and mission, those kinds of work out in our world that help expand the kingdom of God, that through every sacrificial act of service, the kingdom of God breaks in. Instead of greed, there's giving, and poverty is dealt with. All kinds of things, oppressed get set free. God's mission expands. And lastly, sometimes churches and pastors don't talk about this, but he gives you good works through your vocation, your job. Many of you have been called to work just like I would have been called to be a pastor. You have been called to do medicine. You've been called to work as a teacher in education. You've been called into business. You've been called into, you know, all kinds of things. Social work, management, sales. And you, through your job, the scripture says that you, he will empower you because you're doing it for him and you work for him ultimately, not your boss, and you serve as best as you can and you, you serve in ways that please him and actually you're carrying out his work in our world. God shapes us for his purposes. Friends, that's unsurpassing grace. And how does it come? Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. He died and buried, and he rose again. And in our faith, we are united with him so that when he was raised, he raised us, made us alive. He, you know, seated us with him in the heavenlies, in the kingdom of God. And so we are now containers, if you will. The very life of Christ by his Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and now we serve him. He's created us to do good works. We don't get to him by good works, but he's made us, once we are connected with him by faith, now we do good works as a result, out of gratitude, out of a sense of purpose. And it all comes because of who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, and his resurrection. We have been raised with Christ, made alive and seated with him in the heavenly realm the kingdom of God. That's great news. Many of you know my brother was quite the black sheep of our family, if you will. He was a rebel, alcoholic, drug user. He contracted HIV through needle sharing. He told me something once and I paused and I said, Daryl, I've got to write this down. Say it again. And he said this. He said, the drugs took me places I never wanted to go. But Jesus brought me places I never dreamed. And as he surrendered his life and all of his brokenness and his deadness, the last seven years of his life, he lived as a child of God, made new. Unlike my grandpa, he didn't just take all that away from Daryl. He faithfully worked at Celebrate Recovery, but he stayed clean and sober for seven years, earned two degrees, was the chaplain at Kelowna Gospel Mission, 
And God used him because he had purposes for him to do. He was made alive. And when we buried him, he's not there, his body's there. He's in the presence of the living Christ. And one day, the scripture says Jesus will return. And the dead in Christ will rise with new bodies. Brand new ones reunited to their personality, spirit, and soul. And I'm going to wrestle that guy again like we used to when we were kids. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for you. I know the news was bad to start, but unless we face the truth about us, receive the diagnosis, and then accept the, the remedy through Christ, that's what he's provided. So, to that end, I love to pray for you. Can I say this? Wherever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you've just kind of grown cold and you've just, I just want you to be inspired to step towards Jesus in worship and gratitude. If you're exploring and kind of kicking the tires of the church and the claims of Christ, I just want to encourage you, take a step closer. As you've heard all that he's done for you, man, pursue him. So let's pray.